uh, coordinate really well with each other. Um, although I guess it's all scripture, so it should all coordinate. Um, but anyways, um, what it means to remember God and what it looks like in our lives and why it's so important. I do want to start by kind of mentioning this is a little bit more of a topical message this morning uh, about remembering, about gratitude is kind of what we're circling back to. Uh, I mention it because a lot of times topical messages uh, either aren't used the right way or they can seem kind of scatterbrained. But I also point out that when uh, topical messages are executed correctly, they can be a great help in understanding an overall like biblical idea or biblical concept. Now, of course, I'm going to make that defense because I'm preaching one this morning. Um, But I do think it's important um, as we kind of move into this, in a sense, I wanted to give you fair warning that we are looking at gratitude. We're looking at remembering God from more of an overall biblical perspective, not necessarily just from one single passage, which obviously would be sufficient. Um, But I say I've chosen to do this way. and We're kind of looking at, say, we're working expositionally from a topical perspective on this idea of remembering or gratitude towards God. Um, So Deuteronomy chapter number eight is where I had you start. Deuteronomy is a fascinating book. We won't read it again since we just read it for scripture reading. Um, But the book of Deuteronomy is more or less Moses' final message to this rising generation of Israelites um, right before they passed into the promised land. Um, And so it's written at the end of his life. Uh, It is very similar to, I kind of mentioned this, the teens this year were going through 2 Timothy and 2 Peter. And you look at those two epistles from Peter and Paul, and they're letters that were written right before both of those men were martyred. So right at the very end of their life. And in those letters, there's a very unique sense, uh, in a good way, obviously, of emotion and urgency. I mention that because you, get a, you do get a very similar sentiment here in Deuteronomy from a 120-year-old Moses. He's looking back on his life as his time as Israel's leader And he's trying to point this rising generation that's going to be led by Joshua into a different and better direction than the previous generation that had been uh, delivered from Israel or from Egypt from slavery. If you look at chapter 31, you don't have to turn there, but chapter 31 actually clarifies that the majority of the book of Deuteronomy is actually a transcription of a series of speeches that Moses actually gave to the nation of Israel over the course of a few weeks. So the book itself is actually just sort of all these, a lot of these speeches that he gave unified into one thing. And it was all one unified message, um, but it's transcribed from those speeches more or less. That's what 31 kind of clarifies. We're not going to get into everything in Deuteronomy. Um, But when you look at the entire book, chapters kind of 8, 9, and 10 are very critical transition chapters. And the first nine chapters, Moses basically summarizes the history and ultimately the failures of the previous generation. And then from chapters about 10 to 34, the very end, he starts making specific connections and applications to how this new generation of Israelites should live, obey, serve, and sacrifice, in a sense, giving further explanation of the law that had kind of already been given, obviously, in uh, like Leviticus and other passages. But what we find in chapter 8, what we read for scripture reading, it's a really critical transition point where Moses 
tells these people to not make the foolish decision to forget God's acts of grace and mercy to protect and preserve them uh, like the previous generation had. So if you look at verse 4, it's where the reference where um, Moses talks about, you know, remember how your shoes haven't worn out. You've been wandering for 40 years. Your shoes aren't, you know, they still look brand new. Uh, and your feet haven't swollen. You haven't had any feet, foot problems uh, since walking in the wilderness and hiking for 40 years, basically. Uh, and verses 5 through 10, Basically saying that there's a lot of good things that are coming, because remember, they're getting ready to take the promised land. But he reminds them, also, don't forget about the good things that God's done for you in the past. And this is where we get into what we read for the scripture reading, verses 11 through 18, basically summarizes some victories and miraculous provisions that they experienced while they were wandering in the wilderness. And everything is connected to this principle, basically, of not forgetting God uh, or to not forget God like the previous generation had. Uh, They'd forgotten about Egypt. They'd forgotten about the plagues. They'd forgotten about the Red Sea. And it's interesting that this whole message, at least in chapter 8, ends with actually a warning. Uh, You know, he said in verse 19 that I testify against you. Basically, if you forget God this, uh, this day, that ye shall surely perish. So he finishes this this command in verse 18 where he says, you shall remember, you must remember God. And he finishes it with a warning, basically saying, this is not something that you can afford to get wrong. This is not something that you can afford to not take seriously. Chapters 1 through 9, like we said, summarize the last 40 years of Israel's history up until this point. And ultimately, their great failure was in forgetting to remember God. And that's what he tells them, basically, is you guys need to take this seriously. It is coming at the end of this 40 years, and chapters 8 and 9 bridge the gap between reminding them of the past and then how that history should give them practical guidance and instruction moving forward. And there's a consistent and foundational element um, of this message can be summarized by two words, which we've already said, and it's very simply, remember God. And we see that in verse 18. He says, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. The major failure of the previous generation was that they had, like Kenny talked about last week, forgotten God. It was the first domino in a series of failures that ultimately took root in their forgetting him and forgetting all that he had done on their behalf. You look at a lot of the fruits of these issues, like the murmuring, right? The murmuring, they were constantly complaining against God. Um, The rebellion, you have even like the rebellion of Korah. A lot of these rebellions that occurred all actually find their root in the fact that they forgot God. They forgot who he was, and they forgot everything that he had done on their behalf. Moses is calling this new generation to learn from those failures and to not make the same mistake. And we do point out, kind of flashing ahead, that although this generation as a whole did a good job, they sadly didn't pass it on. And what you actually find in the nation of Israel through the Old Testament is a constant struggle with forgetting him, casting aside uh, him in their day-to-day life, just like Kenny talked about last week. Now, we mentioned this earlier, right, that we're talking about um, gratitude. We're talking about thankfulness, giving of thanks, contentment actually we'll touch on as well. So, why did we just spend all that time building to remembering? If you do a study, an overall study of gratitude or thankfulness, contentment in Scripture, it's interesting that no matter where you start, you'll always find that the starting point of biblical gratitude 
is always memory. It's always remembering. If you want a technical definition of remember, or at least a technical definition that I came up with, um, remembering is a choice. It's the intentional calling to mind facts and experiences from the past. We connect that to what Kenny talked about last week. Facts and experiences that deal directly with who God is and what he's done. So we say remember, it's a choice. It's the intentional calling to mind facts and experiences from the past that have to do with who God is and what he's done. This is a critical point that I want to hit that we're going to come back to, but we have to hit it in the very beginning as we move into gratitude because often we treat gratitude like like a feeling, don't we? We treat it like an emotion, right? So we have this idea of I express gratitude when I feel gratitude. So something happens that I like, uh, you know, I get a promotion or something works out the way that I thought it would and I feel grateful and therefore I express gratefulness. There's a problem with this though, that we're going to come back to. But as we dive into gratitude, we have to recognize that gratitude in connection with remembering, it is a choice. It's an action that we, we participate in. It's not a feeling. If you remember from Psalm 9 last week, even the psalmist says, I will rejoice. I will sing. I will praise. This idea of I'm putting forth my will to participate in these things. Now, I do point out, right, that it's not to say, that's not to say that we, we do not feel grateful because of certain experiences. But this idea of highlighting the feeling and the emotion and as opposed to the choice to participate it in, it highlights the core issue that many of us, and actually I find in my own heart, the issue that many of us unknowingly have but don't really understand. We struggle with gratefulness or maybe we struggle with being discontent because the gratitude that we do express, and we're going to find this this morning, the gratitude that we do express is based exclusively on circumstances going the way that I think they should, or God answered my prayers the way I wanted them answered, and so I feel grateful, and so I express gratitude. When the feeling becomes the foundation, it's going to become a problem. Now, feeling grateful isn't a bad thing, and we're going to talk about that. But I want you to understand that the foundation of gratitude cannot be the feeling because if we're basing it on things that change, then our gratitude can change. And this is what we really understand that the reason we struggle with discontentment oftentimes is because the gratitude that we express is selfish and not biblical. And that's the critical point I want to touch on as we dive into this because what we're looking at this morning is biblical gratitude. What does biblical gratitude look like? How do we express it and why is it important? Because often the gratitude we express is selfish and that's why we struggle with consistency. So I just kind of summarize it this way. Biblical gratitude is expressed regardless of circumstances, not because of circumstances. So biblical gratitude is expressed regardless of circumstance, not because of circumstance. So we tie that in. What about when things aren't going the way that we think they should, right? When things are difficult, when the feeling of gratitude isn't there, but I'm supposed to express it, how am I supposed to be able to express gratitude when I don't feel grateful? I kind of just give a, a maybe a simple personal explanation. I know most of you know this, and if you don't, it's fine. Um, about a little over a month ago now, um, our third child, Madeline, was born, our uh, drama queen. Uh, and our third child was born, and I kind of just summarize all of it to say, within 30 seconds of her being born, 
something was, uh, was definitely wrong in the sense of like just the way it kind of happened. Within 30 seconds, it was like, okay, something's not quite right here. Um, almost immediately, they had her on like, it was basically a breathing machine. Um, they took her away within a couple minutes to a nursery and were watching her really close. And then they ended up transporting her, this like newborn little girl, uh, in an ambulance from Culpeper to UVA um, to the NICU. And she was there for about a week. Um, now, I say that, we'll kind of tie it back in in a minute. But I say to be totally transparent, just as like a parent in the situation, um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, like those first three days, were actually, um, were, were really scary in the sense of not really knowing what was wrong, not knowing what was going to happen. I know for me, um, just watching her fight to breathe was very difficult. Uh, this little, little child just really, really fighting to breathe and having that thought in your mind of what's going to happen. Now, I say that because obviously she's fine. She's in the service, probably sleeping. Uh, She's fine now, and it's easy to look at her now and express gratitude for the result that she's fine. But this is my point. What about expressing gratitude while sitting in the NICU watching my three-day-old baby fighting to breathe? Because it is in those types of circumstances that you will either most clearly see biblical gratitude or your selfish gratitude will be exposed. Now, to keep it personal, you say, what did you learn, Pastor Theron? I learned that I have very selfish gratitude. <laughs> I, I learned, honestly, that my expression of gratitude is not intentional enough in my life. The feeling of gratitude may come, and that's fine, but the expression of gratitude is a choice that we choose to participate in regardless of what we're dealing with. So again, what does this all have to do with remembering? And all of this is what we're going to talk about. This isn't just my thoughts. This is like the summary of what we're going to talk about. Uh, you cannot express biblical gratitude without intentionally remembering specific things about God and what he's done in your life, regardless of the circumstances or the feelings. Because in those difficult times, when you don't feel grateful, if your gratitude is based on who God is and what he's done, something that can't change, then the status of your gratitude won't change. Deuteronomy chapter 8, the point is don't forget God. In verse 18, we saw the commandment to remember God. Thou shalt remember. Remembering, as we're going to find this morning, is intricately linked to gratitude. There's a lot of different things you connect remembering to, um, but today we're just focusing on that link into gratitude, thankfulness, and contentment we'll kind of touch on as well. Remembering is intimately sewn into the fabric of gratitude. So this morning, we're just going to ask a couple of simple questions and answer them. What is gratitude? Um, why is gratitude important? Or why should I be concerned about whether my gratitude is biblical or not? And then how do I express it um, in my own life? So the choice to recall God, uh, who he is and what he's done is something we have to do constantly, not based on circumstance. All right, so the first question we're going to ask this morning is, what is gratitude? Very simple question, and we're going to have two main thoughts behind it. So what is gratitude? And the first main thought is that gratitude is an intentional act of worship. So obviously this is tied into the choice that we just talked about, um, but this is where we get that principle from. So first, what is gratitude? Gratitude is an intentional 
act of worship. If you go into the Old Testament, you look at some of the Hebrew words that are tied to the idea of gratitude or thankfulness, giving of thanks, whatever the case may be. Um, There's several words there, but it's interesting that nearly all of them make a direct connection between gratitude and expressing that gratitude through song or psalms. So you look at Psalm 26, verse 7, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Psalm 69, 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. You see the connection between song and thanksgiving. Psalm 95, 2, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise. Unto him with psalms, Psalm 100, verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So there's a consistent theme through the book of Psalms of this idea of gratefulness being expressed as an act of, act of worship to God. So this is important and really the first critical um, point to make is that the foundation of gratitude is worship, not necessarily blessings. So the foundation of gratitude is worship, not necessarily blessings. And we tie that back to that fundamental flaw that many of us think of as gratitude, right? I got something that I wanted. I got a result that I was hoping for. Um, And we point that out, right? It's not wrong to express gratitude for things. That's not the point. So, for example, uh, when I was growing up, I know we just had Thanksgiving Something that my family always did was right before we would eat and pray, we'd all like go around the, you know, the table and everybody would say something they were thankful for. I don't know, maybe some of you have a similar uh, like tradition that you do. And that's all fine. And I say inevitably, the things that came up were things. They were things, experiences that we had in life, that blessings that we were grateful for. I'm thankful that I'm not in school this week, whatever that kind of thing. Um, that's not wrong. Okay. That's not the point. So it's not like, so this year go around and everybody's going to repent. That's not, that's not the point. Okay. It's not wrong to express gratitude for things. And I want to make sure we all understand that expressing gratitude for things is not wrong, but this is the point that scripture makes about gratitude. Things or blessings, even though they're not wrong, cannot be the foundation of your thankfulness because the status of those things can always change. Things cannot be the foundation of your thankfulness because the status of those things can always change. If you're only expressing gratitude when you feel it, what happens when that feeling is gone? You know express gratitude. (laughs) You can't express it if it's going to be based on something that can change. So why is it important then to recognize the Bible's identification of gratitude as an intentional act of worship. Because God's worthiness of your gratitude doesn't change, which means it can be and should be constant regardless of whatever changes in our lives. So you think of, for example, Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, right? The angels and the angelic beasts that never cease crying out. They don't even stop to breathe. They are constantly, unceasingly singing praise to who? God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? They're singing praises of worthiness to the King of Heaven unceasingly. Why do they never stop? Because he's never not worthy of that praise. Our expression of gratitude towards God has to be based on something that cannot change. And that's why things and circumstances can't be the foundation. 
if it's built on something that cannot change, then when life throws you a curveball, because life is going to throw you a curveball sometimes, your spirit of gratitude won't transform into a spirit of doubt, fear, or murmuring, or discontentment. So this is the question, right? Does your expression of gratitude communicate to the world that your God is occasionally worthy of gratitude or eternally worthy of it? When you look at your interaction with coworkers, with family, um, and I say this is a heavy one, with your own kids, does your expression of gratitude communicate God's eternal worthiness of gratitude? When things go wrong in your life for your family, are you, by example, teaching people or teaching your kids that God is only worthy of trust, praise, and gratitude when things are going well? How do you respond when life throws you a curveball? And what is that response teaching people in your life? What is it teaching your kids if you have kids? One of the fruits of an incorrect philosophy of gratitude, and you actually find this in scripture, is murmuring. The, a fruit of, of an incorrect philosophy of gratitude is murmuring. It's vocal discontentment, which only results from forgetting God, like Kenny talked about last week. So we only murmur when we've really shifted our focus away from God. And that's kind of what we saw pointed out in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I tie that in because it is sad because even just thinking as a parent, it's sad that for many of our children, they hear more griping and murmuring from us than they do worship through gratitude. We spend so much time griping and complaining and murmuring about a problem instead of using that problem as an opportunity to teach our kids or teach people. God is still worthy of gratitude. He's still worthy of praise. We just have to figure out the problem in addition to celebrating him. But we get so murmury and gripey and complainy, we just teach them what? Well, he's only worthy of gratitude when he's doing things that we like. And that's a dangerous thing uh, to teach anybody, whether it's children or the people in your life in general. So does your expression of gratitude communicate that God is occasionally worthy or unceasingly worthy of worship? Remember, we choose to worship God in our gratitude, and we don't just wait to feel gratitude. So I'm going to put it this way, okay? To tie in my little girl's drama, uh, God was just as worthy of my gratitude when sitting in the NICU with Madeline, not knowing what was going to happen, as he is now when I sit at home on the couch feeding her and she won't stop crying, right? (laughs) She's breathing and it's great, right? Both scenarios... Despite the vast difference, now knowing she's going to be okay, then not really knowing what was going to happen, God, God's worthiness of gratitude didn't change. And that's what I learned, if you wanted to know. <laughs> because of that fact, though, I can worship God in gratitude regardless of what happens, regardless of what changes, because God doesn't change and he won't change. And actually, we just talked about this with the teens in 2 Timothy 2. Uh, He tells Timothy, we have this firm foundation, and he's pointing to truth, to scripture, to God. Paul tells Timothy, you can build your life on God, on truth. Why? Because it's not going to change. And that instills confidence. So gratitude is an intentional act of worship. Secondly, Gratitude is a purposeful 
recognition of God's grace. So the first thought, what is gratitude? It's an intentional act of worship. And then secondly, gratitude is a purposeful recognition of God's grace. Now I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I told you we're going to flip-flop a little bit this week. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, turn there. We're going to read some verses that help illustrate this principle in just a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now this is along the same lines, but a purposeful recognition of God's grace actually is detailing a facet of gratitude that helps our practice of it. So I'm kind of getting a little bit ahead of myself in how do we express gratitude, but it ties into the definition of what it is. So it's just two birds with one stone. Uh, so a purposeful recognition of God's grace, it's Gratitude is a choice, uh, is sort of the overarching principle, and then rejoicing in God's grace or the recognition of God's grace is really how we express gratitude. Um, so the same thing, you know, you look at the Old Testament Hebrew words for Thanksgiving. If you look in the New Testament in the Greek, there's about three to five different words in English that are uh, connected to sort of the Greek words of thankful and gratitude and contentment. And this is basically the crux of those Greek words that the re- it's the recognition of God's grace or the purposeful celebration of God's grace. And I heard I had you turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to look at verse uh, 55, so the very end of the chapter. comes at the end of a point Paul's making, um, but we're going to tie in his climax of the point, not the whole point entirely. But this is his point. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is, is the law. But thanks be to God... Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Greek word there, thanks, and that last verse literally means a token or a proof of, God, of grace, or a token or a proof of God's grace. So the principle behind the word is that you're finding proofs, you're finding tokens of God's grace in your life, and I tie this back in, which at times can be things. You're like, oh, wait a second. You said celebrating gratefulness for things is an ideal. Hypocrite. No, uh, I didn't say that. I said celebration of things isn't, it can't be the foundation, right? Uh, these tokens of grace are things that we find in our life that sometimes God does do things and we celebrate those acts of grace through gratitude. That's fine. But I want to point this out. What token of grace does Paul point to in this passage? Because that's the point. What token of grace does Paul point to? Salvation. His work on our behalf that demonstrates his covenant love for his own. So, again, this gratitude may apply to things, tokens of grace that we see, but ultimately this passage ties finding a token of grace in God's undeserved uh, victory or me and the undeserved victory that he's provided for me over death and sin. The things that happen should draw our attention to the one who's allowed those things. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 8 as well. Remember, he talked about the promised land. All these good things are coming, but those good things should draw your attention to the God who's provided them. So when we express gratitude for things, it still is drawing our attention back to him. So even when we're finding proofs of God's grace and things, We're still supposed to look to him. 
But again, looking at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I kind of point this out. This is why context is so important. Because expressing gratitude for things, like we said, is fine. But Paul's point of when you're looking for tokens of God's grace in your life, the only place that you really need to look is the cross. That's the point. Many people are going to take this passage out of context and just talk on and on about finding tokens of grace. But what about when your sinful heart is telling you that there aren't any? Because our sinful hearts do tell us sometimes, I don't see or feel God's grace. And I point out sinful heart, emphasize capital S, or maybe capitalize the whole word. When our sinful hearts tell us there are no examples of God's grace in our life, this is why Paul's focal point of giving thanks to God is something that cannot change. Salvation and victory over death and sin given to you by Jesus Christ. That is the greatest token of God's grace. And if you genuinely feel, if any of us at any point genuinely feel that we cannot see God's grace in our life, then we have failed to look to the cross and to the empty tomb that he left behind for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice evermore, right? Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. If you find in your life that trials and hardships constantly turn into justified sessions of doubting and questioning God, then something is seriously wrong with your perspective of God's worthiness of gratitude and the proofs of his grace in your life. I'm going to say that again. If you find in your life that trials, that hardships are constantly turning into justified sessions of questioning God, then something is seriously wrong with your perspective of God's worthiness of your gratitude. If your gratitude is based on God, then it cannot be easily shifted. And that's the point. So to ask the question again, what is gratitude? It is an intentional act of worship that I choose to participate in because God is unceasingly worthy of my thanks and my praise. Gratitude, it is the purposeful recalling of the tokens of God's grace in my life, mainly his work on the cross for my soul and his resurrection to give me a hope and victory that I do not deserve. So this is the role of remembering God in gratitude because all of this has directly to do with exactly what Kenny talked about last week, who God is and what he's done on our behalf. He is worthy And he has provided salvation. He's provided hope, peace, victory, and grace, things that cannot change. Your spirit of gratitude in life must be built on the foundation of remembering God, who he is, and what he's done on your behalf. So what is gratitude? It's an intentional act of worship, and it is a purposeful recognition of God's grace. So now, Why is gratitude so important? Obviously, some of it is answered in what we already talked about, but why is gratitude so important? I want you to turn to James 1. We're going to be there briefly, and then we'll turn to Philippians 4 for a minute. Um, But James chapter 1, we're going to look at just a couple of verses that illustrate a point we're about to make. Uh, James chapter number 1, why is gratitude so important? Or I kind of also say it this way, why should I be so concerned with whether or not 
the, the gratitude that I'm practicing is biblical. Because I think if we're honest, especially coming out of like Thanksgiving, right? Most of us want to believe that we're grateful in the way that we should be. Uh, and that's a good desire to have. But really the right desire should be a question of, is the gratitude that I am practicing in my life biblical gratitude or not? So why is that a question that I should be concerned about? So James chapter 1, the first point that we're going to answer, why is gratitude important? First, because gratitude enables focus in difficult times. So gratitude first is important because it enables focus in difficult times. If you remember Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, it's interesting that Moses tells Israel that God used the 40 years of wandering to humble them, and essentially to expose what was really in their hearts. So what some may have thought of, those 40 years, what some may have thought of as lost time or wasted time in the wilderness was actually a time of growth for this rising generation. So we find in the Old Testament, especially in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that we talked about earlier, God used difficulty to expose weaknesses as a means of teaching and growth in the lives of his people. Now we find that same principle in the New Testament, and that's why I had you turn to James chapter 1. We're going to take that principle and find it in the New Testament. The expression of gratitude to God, regardless of circumstance, prevents the natural ups and downs of life from overwhelming and consuming us. And I kind of point that out because, again, if we're all honest... Our hearts do naturally and sinfully lean towards like, like the if only mentality. Have you ever caught yourself in like the if onlys of life? It's like, if only I could get away, if only I could catch a break, if only I could get a raise, uh, if only I had more time, if only I was less busy, if only this thing hadn't happened, then da 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 We tend to slip into this wrong mentality of if only. And the problem with that is that this mentality takes a circumstance, any circumstance, that God can use to help us grow, and it does make it into a wasted experience. God often uses hardship to expose weaknesses as a means of growth. So you look at James chapter 1, look at verses 2 through 4. What's the, this is the first thing James tells this church that he was a leader of in Jerusalem. Count it all joy. When ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, again, context is important, right? Because he's writing to the people that were in his church that had scattered because of heavy, heavy persecution. Not only that, they were dealing with severe famine and like very, very serious poverty, and the first thing he writes to a very a scattered group of people because of persecution, they're struggling with severe poverty and famine. The first thing he says is count it all joy. Why? Knowing this, these diverse temptations, the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, basically so that you can grow and you can mature. And I actually, if you remember, I preached from James 1 about a year ago, I think, and there was this point of what is joy in these difficulties. It's optimistically cooperating with whatever God is doing or allowing. And you ask the question, why? And it's clarified in Romans 8, 28 and 29, right? All things work together for good. We love that verse. Read the second verse because 29 clarifies what that good is, 
which is making us into the image of Christ. So all things do work together for good, and that ultimate good is God making us like Christ. So tying this back into gratitude, expressing gratitude, remember intentional worship, purposeful recognition of God's grace, enables me as a believer to stay focused when things are difficult. I am grateful for whatever God is doing or allowing because I know ultimately why he's doing it or why he's allowing it to make me like Christ. So even when I don't understand, instead of slipping into the sinful if-onlys and having these opportunities wasted, now my mentality through gratitude shifts because I understand what God is doing and I'm wanting to grow through it in the way that he wants me to grow. So gratitude, we go back to that point, gratitude enables focus in difficult times for that reason. Gratitude keeps us focused in hardship because it reminds us of who he is and what he is trying to accomplish in our lives. So we no longer focus on if only, but rather focus on the what can I learn or how can I grow? Gratitude keeps us focused and it keeps us moving forward towards what Paul calls in Philippians 3, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, right? I forget the things which are behind. I press towards the mark, that whole idea. It keeps me focused so that no matter what happens, I'm pressing towards the mark that God has for me and not getting stuck on the if-onlys. Now, I mentioned Philippians. I'm actually going to have you turn to Philippians 4. And if I remember correctly, it's the last flippy flop I'll have you do this morning, all right? So Philippians chapter number 4, this is a critical passage on contentment that ties all into these principles of remembering God and gratitude. So what is gratitude while you're turning? Uh, it's that intentional act of worship and a purposeful recognition of God's grace. Uh, and then why is it important? First, because it enables us to stay focused in difficult times, focused on God, just to clarify. And secondly, now we see from Philippians 4, and this is important, Gratitude is our defense against discontentment. In fact, I'm going to add a, a modifier. Gratitude is our only defense against discontentment. Gratitude is your only defense against discontentment in your life. Now, the overall concept here is connected to contentment. And I'm going to read Philippians 4, verses 6 through 13. And then we'll kind of go back through and trace the thought of contentment, gratitude, make all those important biblical connections. All right. So Philippians chapter four, starting in verse six, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything, he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye, uh, ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. And this is the kind of this critical point now. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, I point this out before we move through that whole chunk. Recognize that the content of verse 13, the context of verse 13 is contentment. So really what his point is, I can be content or I can endure through contentment in all things regardless of circumstance. And this is where we point out, tying in gratitude, gratitude is our defense against discontentment. Now let's step back. We're going to follow the train of thought that Paul has here in Philippians 4. Uh, And this interesting thing about Paul, when you read his writings, he always builds on himself. He doesn't have like random thoughts. When you read something that Paul wrote, he's always like building to a thought. And then he takes that thought and he connects it to another thought and he builds. So Paul is always building on himself. That's the style of his writing. So if you look at verse 6, the first verse we read, Paul says that our prayer life is directed by a heart of thanksgiving, or a similar word is gratitude. It's the same uh, like Greek connection there. So the foundation of our prayer life, this is the first step in this idea is gratitude. Then verses seven, eight, and nine, that gratitude is expressed to God through worship, worshipful prayer, which directly influences the way that we think, act, and live. So whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely, that's a building thought on the previous thought. So gratitude and thanksgiving direct our heart in prayer, and that affects the way we think, act, and live. He ties it in you know, what you've heard, what you've learned, what you've seen, do. So there's the thinking and the acting out. Verses 10 through 13, that all together produces, so those things combined, produce an enduring contentment regardless of the circumstances of our lives, which is what you see in verses 12 and 13. So the idea in verse 13 is the climax of what he's just been talking about. I can endure anything through a Christ-enabled contentment, which is, as we find in verses 6 through 9 of that passage, the direct result of purposeful gratitude and worship of God in every situation. I've, I've learned to abound and I've learned to be based, right? To suffer need and to have extreme blessing. Regardless of the situation, I can have an enduring gratitude because it's enabled in me by Christ. So Paul makes a very important point in the context of gratitude. A spirit of gratitude towards God keeps us focused in hardship and it is the foundation the foundation of biblical contentment in my life. So it is the key, gratitude is the key to unlocking contentment. It's choosing to unceasingly express gratitude to God because he is unceasingly worthy of it. Contentment, as we said, is our barrier. It's our defense against discontentment. And again, all this comes back to this point that our defense against covetousness, our defense against discontentment in our life is to be content. So how do we develop contentment? And it's simple. And we develop contentment by expressing gratitude. That's, (laughs) That's the result, right? The result of gratitude is contentment in life. We fend off discontentment 
by remembering who God is and what he's done, worshiping him through gratefulness by not forgetting his worthiness, not forgetting the tokens of his grace in our lives, which ultimately is the victory that he's given over death and sin. You look at Hebrews 13, 5, it says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. It's a really fascinating word because it literally means content in the original language means to defend by raising a barrier. Contentment is a barrier. Contentment, excuse me, is our defense against discontentment. So the truth communicates, or this truth communicates another critical point, again, that we can't skip over. So if gratitude is my defense against discontentment, then we also have to realize that the only path to discontentment is to fail to express gratitude. Because we like the positive, right? Gratitude helps me defend against discontentment. So what does that mean if I'm constantly discontent with my life? That means I failed to express gratitude. That's the, the negative to the positive, but a good negative, right? A positive negative, if that's possible. Right, so if gratitude is our defense against discontentment, then the only path to discontentment is a failure to express gratitude. This is where Deuteronomy comes back into play because ultimately the failure of the previous generation was forgetting God and therefore failing to intentionally worship and purposefully recall his grace in their lives. It was a failure to express gratitude to God for who he was to them and what he'd done on their behalf. So I just pointed out, when you find your heart and mind drifting into the if-onlys, and you've allowed the circumstances of your life to cause doubts and questions towards God, when you demonstrate the fruit of discontentment, the only way to get to that point is to fail in expressing gratitude. So that kind of begs the question, right? How do I get over discontentment then? The biblical answer is to start remembering God by expressing gratitude for who he is and what he's done in your life. Your focus should be on him and nothing else. If you remember Pray Big, uh, the book we did in our small group a couple summers ago, remember that the, really the focal point of Pray Big was the focus of your prayer life is basically worshiping God. So when that focus shifts from God to anything else, then discontentment and murmuring are enabled to creep into our hearts and minds. So this is the, the final summary, okay? What is gratitude? Gratitude is an intentional act of worship. I must choose to worship God through gratitude unceasingly each day because he is unceasingly worthy of it. Gratitude is an intentional act of worship. It is a purposeful recognition of God's grace. I must recall tokens of God's grace in my life. This may include random undeserved blessings, but centers mainly on his work on the cross on my behalf by grace giving me a victory that I don't deserve over death and sin. Why is gratitude important? Or what role does gratitude play in my life as a believer? It keeps my focus on God and difficult times. As I continually worship God through gratitude, I am constantly reminded of his grace and purposes in my life and therefore do not use any circumstance as an excuse to doubt or question him. 
When my focus is on God, then circumstances cannot shift my faith. And remember the whole idea. When your gratitude is based on things that can change, your gratitude can change. That's that principle. And then finally, gratitude is our only, it is our only defense against discontentment. I must realize that the only path to a murmuring, complaining, discontented heart is in my failure to worship and remember God through gratitude. There is no other path to discontentment than to fail to express biblical gratitude. So what's the conclusion? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, I kind of mentioned this earlier, Moses tells Israel that the purpose for all that God had done and allowed during those 40 years of wandering were being used by him to expose what we truly need or what, we, what was truly in their hearts. So to summarize, your attitude and difficulty reveals your heart. For us, does your life exude gratitude towards God Or do you radiate discontentment when things don't go according to plan? What is your attitude? What is your spirit communicating to the people in your life or to the kids in your home about God and his worthiness to be worshipped even when things are hard? Are you treating gratitude like an emotion? Are you waiting to feel it so you can express it? Or are you treating it like a responsibility Most of us struggle with discontentment simply because we treat gratitude like an emotion, something that just, you know, comes and goes goes with the winds of favor, right? Gratitude is a choice. It's the lens that we see our lives through. If God is unceasingly worthy of our gratitude, then we should be unceasingly worshiping him each day through gratitude. So this is the point, right? We must remember God. Or as Moses puts it in Deuteronomy 8, we cannot afford to forget him in our lives. So what is our defense against forgetting? It is simply to remember. Intentionally worship God by thanking him for what he's done and allowed, purposefully recalling specific tokens of his grace in your life, never forgetting or minimizing his work on the cross on your behalf. Stay focused in difficult times by remembering his ultimate purpose in your life to make you like Christ. Defend your heart and mind against discontentment, against a complaining spirit by joyfully and unceasingly expressing gratitude to God for who he is and all that he has done in your life. Gratitude keeps our focus where it should be. So I just finished with this question based on a biblical understanding of gratitude and what it looks like. Are you remembering God in your life each day or have you forgotten him? And if so, what needs to change to get your heart back to being content in him? Let's close in prayer. God, we, uh, we come before you recognizing your worthiness to be praised and worshiped in all circumstances of life. Your purposes are higher and greater and better than ours could ever be. And we thank you for your sovereignty. We praise you for your providence in our lives each day. We bow before you this morning, acknowledging that we have all failed at some time or another to express to you the gratitude that you are forever worthy of. Help us to help us all 
to find where discontentment has infiltrated our hearts and minds, to see how our attitudes and words have negatively impacted those around us. Help us to radiate gratitude and help us to appreciate those around us by first exuding gratitude and appreciation to you. Father, you have done so much for us, not the least of which is your work on the cross. You have given us so much in living perfectly, dying as a spotless lamb for our sins, and coming back to life to prove your power and reign over sin and death. God, your victory, that victory, has been graciously handed to us without any merit on our part. We do not deserve you, and and we don't deserve your grace or your love. And yet it is those things that drive us joyfully and humbly to your feet each day. Strengthen our hearts with gratitude, God. Help us to keep our focus on you when so many things would pull it away, including our own sinful hearts. God, fill us with thankfulness by driving our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.